Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join our hosts, Phil Dark and Rick Morton. Welcome again to the Think Orphan podcast. This is Rick Morton along with Phil Dark. Excited to come to you today. Phil, my brother, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. And, you know, and I, I think based on our conversation before recording today, I'm probably doing a little better than you because, you know, apparently the heat is not working quite up to snuff in your place. And so it looks like you're ready to go skiing at this point, um, you know, with your with your clothing and attire there. Now, you are in Birmingham, and I'm in Northern California. I am in Birmingham, so it is Alabama. It's a little, little and I can, different. So. I can report to you that it is colder inside my office yes. than it is outside yeah. on the street right now. So, so but, we uh, we're we're challenged and uh, and because because I want to do a great job for our listeners, I'm not running the heater in my office right yes. now, so we don't have a nice little hum in the background, and so I'm I'm bundled up and freezing to death. Yeah, folks. So you know you don't you don't really appreciate how how much he is sacrificing because you would have to listen to something along the lines of this <laughs> as we're talking. So just you know. You're welcome. That's that's all. Yeah. That's all I'm, I'm saying on behalf of absolutely. Rick. So I am anyway. taking one for the team. Yes. And, and I would like for people to know that. So so uh, I think you. that undoes the the generosity that you just did. But that's, <laughs> that is that is okay. You know whatever. Um. So folks out there, you know, aside from just the fun that we are having. Right now, we have an amazing show, another great uh, interview with a friend of ours um, and, you know, a woman who has been doing some great work for a long time as she's as she will share with us um, uh, during the interview. But uh, she currently is acting as the executive director of Faith to Action Initiative, which we had Sarah Gesserik on, um, I think, a couple episodes or a couple seasons ago. And Sarah, who now is acting, um, she's she's. This is the advisor, uh, USAID, advisor to the president for uh, at-risk children, doing some amazing work for the U.S. government right now. Uh, We love Sarah. Ellie followed in her footsteps and is now doing an amazing job with Faith Action, who, you know, Faith Action has created and has continued to create phenomenal resources for us to be able to use around the world um, to help love orphan and vulnerable children. So... You know, I uh, I'm I could say a, a lot more about Ellie, but I'm going to let her speak for herself. And so, folks, listen up to this interview that I was able to do with my friend Ellie Oswald. Well, Ellie, it is so good to have you on the Think Orphan Podcast. Well, it's so good to be on the Think Orphan Podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, definitely. So, Ellie, you know, as we said in the intro which you did not hear but uh you're with uh, faith to action initiative and we had sarah gasaric on a bit before so folks if we're not going to cover everything that faith to action would or is doing that would take way too long we're going to be kind of picking up on that a little bit as far as what faith action is doing and actually taking it further and to hear all the other great things that uh god's doing through you ellie and so um before we get into the kind of nuts and bolts of what we're talking about today. Can you share a bit about your story? And for those people out there who don't know you or even those who have met you but don't really know your background, you know, how you got to be where you are today uh, in your work with Faith Action? Sure. Yeah, I think it's like everybody's life. It's had twists and turns. But um, I, I started kind of interest in a career that would help other people in high school. We had this DECA group. I don't know if other people have heard of that, but it's really around marketing. But there's a part of it that can be nonprofit work. And so I started volunteering on the nonprofit um, or with Habitat for Humanity and started um, organizing fundraisers and organizing volunteer groups and joining their board meetings. And so that honestly, you know, 15, 16 year old, I started to think, what if I could do this? Like, what if my job Mm -hmm. could be to help other people? And that has really kind of held with me throughout as the twist and turns came. But um, I did study nonprofit and religion in college. And I went to seminary, but I was very um, kind of adamant that I wouldn't be a pastor. Whenever anybody mm-hmm. asks you what you're going to do, I was like, I'm going to seminary or I'm in seminary, but I don't want to be a pastor. The, <laughs> the church is so screwed up. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I mean, I'd been with the church my whole life. I went to church. I loved the church, but I didn't want to work there. And so I learned, don't say things like that in life because eventually those things seem to be your reality. 
Um, but I did, I, I went to Fuller Seminary because I really wanted to study under Bryant Myers. Have you had Bryant Myers on? I have me? not. No, but you, you know, get sounds like we need to. Yeah. Put it on the list. Um, All right. He, he was leaving World Vision at the time. He was a VP at World Vision for a long time and really shaped their approach to development. So um, transformational okay. development. So I took every class he offered. I think I took seven of his classes <laughs> and and ended up at World Vision after um, after seminary, um, which was kind of the goal. But it was a little interesting because you know I would tell my mom I'd like to work for World Vision in high school and in college and. And then all of a sudden, right out of seminary, I was working for World Vision, and, and that was like my dream. So I was a little bit right. like, oh, okay, here I am. But it actually was really good because it, you know, I think if you have some ideal in your mind and you don't actually know what that means, then it kind of screws you up. But um, I was there, and I got to see what it was like to be there, and it was it was awesome. The time, the short time I spent there, I learned so much. Um, I was in their their technical team for child protection. Worked with Bill Forbes, who's another great guy. Do you, um, you should get on sometime. He gave me so many opportunities. Um, it really was, I was their interagency research coordinator. And so I got to represent World Vision in other, um, with other organizations and research projects. And um, I learned how to pray in meetings because I was in over my head, surrounded by these incredible leaders of organizations. And I'd be like, Lord, do you want me to say this? Should I say this? Um, and actually I use that all the time whenever I'm in a meeting, I'm like, you know, okay, God, I'm here. What do you, do you want me to say something? Do you not? And, um, World Vision was really a place that I learned that because I just had so many opportunities to work with great people and go see the field work and, and all of that. It really shaped, um, my perspective on cross-cultural engagement and, um, poverty alleviation and supporting families and strengthening families and what I would call um, child focused development because there's community yeah. development that can be really general but how can we ensure that community development is actually impacting vulnerable children so um, learned a lot there and then lo and behold you know I ended up working for a church and it's a longer story um, but it was one of those things I, I actually didn't want the job, kind of did it, kind of explored it, very kind of not enthused about it. And um, everything lined up and God just made it super obvious to me that, no, you're going to work for this great church. And so I was a missions pastor for five years at a great church, Bethany Community Church here in Seattle, and um, loved that, learned so much, was able to apply a lot of what I'd learned at World Vision to the local community in Seattle, but also our global partners. It was, it was great. Um, and then I took some time after having my second to just, um, I was looking for a new challenge, but I wanted to take some time at home and faith to action approached me and kind of gave me another offer that I felt like I couldn't refuse, even though I wasn't looking to work at that time. It was super flexible. It was a contract. And what was cool is it was to help them engage um, more and more with the U.S. church. And so here I was, having worked at a U.S. church and having worked in kind of the technical side of child protection and care for children at World Vision. And the goal of Faith to Action is to bridge kind of the technical research evidence base with what the church is doing. And so mm. it was another just like, okay, yep, this is what God yeah. has for me to do next. So I so I did it. And I've been here, um, good question, four years um, moving from kind of part-time to now in the director position. Yeah, that's so cool. I, I, this is always one of my favorite parts of the podcast because we hear things that we may not have known about, you know, like I hear them anyway. You don't, I don't necessarily tell you all the things that you don't know about me. But, you know, <laughs> these are things just to hear kind of behind the scenes of how God works and weaves and, you know, as you said, often the things we say we'll never do. And it's funny to me that after your dream position of World Vision, you end up doing the thing you said you'd never do. Um, yeah. often you need to do that on the way to the dream, but it was God saying, no, nope, I got a different path for you. And, and that's tends to be when, when he does some pretty awesome work. So fun to, yeah. fun to hear that. And, you know, and I think you, you did a good job of, first of all, giving me more work by giving me more interviews to be doing. But, <laughs> uh, secondly, kind of doing my job here by segueing into really what faith to action is and is doing. Um, and I know in the last, you know, few months, probably years, but time goes so fast. 
has created the transition to family-based care materials and different kind of a roadmap on the on the website. It's uh, faiththeaction.org, folks out there. It's a phenomenal website that will be on the show notes as well as the you know links to these other things we're talking about. But can you just give us a little bit of uh, kind of background in in the in the materials that are created by Faith Action, what those are, and then how the, how you're creating them, but also um, why it's so critical. Um, to get the orphan and vulnerable children to safe, secure, and healthy families? Yeah, I think it's important for people to know when they see or use a faith-to-action resource that we, it's not Ellie that created this out of my own mind, that we're a coalition of organizations. We don't run programs. We don't fund programs. The focus of our coming together, these organizations, is to elevate best practices. So we're drawing from incredible organizations. You can read on our leadership um, site, but we have a great leadership council and we partner with other people. Um, we get to highlight their work and highlight the, the work of other organizations. But at the same time, we're, we're really just trying to make accessible and to support people, um, especially the U.S. church and Christian organizations, to pursue the best for kids. So, you know, Faith to Action started 13 years ago when there was a lot of evidence building around what kids need. And um, at the same time, it wasn't lining up with what we were seeing being funded from the U.S. church. And so that's kind of the idea is that we would be able to bridge that to have that conversation. And it was Christians who were saying, you know, we're Christian organizations. We can do better. We can help our brothers and sisters do better as well. Um, so so more recently, um, you know, we've we spent we've been around 13 years. I don't know if I said that. Um, kind of starting with awareness raising, you know, from Faith to Action is about what is family-based care? And we talk about things like the, we talk about the evidence that exists. And um, we've moved in to talk about what is a continuum of care? You know, what are, we need options for kids. We can't just have one option when there's a crisis in a family. We need options for kids and families. So what is a continuum of care looks like? So we've addressed that with resources. And, and, and we got to a place where we were, not Faith to Action, but this whole family care movement, we're seeing people ready and willing to try something different. And um, that's um, in the last four years where we've put a lot of attention is what you're asking about these transitioning resources. Because if we're talking about um, kids and families, which we are, um, there are many children that are currently separated from their families. So what does it mean to really do well in supporting children to be reintegrated into family, whether it's their own family or a safe alternative family. So we've we've created resources like the guidance manual um, that is really just gives you the key steps. What would it mean to make a transition from being residential care or or orphanage, depending on what term you're using, to being family-based. Um, so this is what we've gleaned from our partners who've been doing this work across a bunch of different cultures as really important key elements of that. Um, we have a toolkit that backs that up. So when you say, okay, is there something that will help me do that? You can go through that toolkit. We have an online training with videos of some of these people who've been doing it and organizations who've been doing it for decades. And, and now we're working on helping people connect with organizations that can um, help them on the ground with kind of the technical needs that they have to transition. That's kind of our next phase. Is that helpful? Mm. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, you know, it's just something that uh, I know a lot of organizations that I've talked with, you know, are, are getting the, well, you know, we, we understand that we want, we, we need to do these things, but it's, it's so daunting, especially when you feel like you're on an island. And I know a lot of our audience are just a bunch of different countries around the world that don't have access to the the trainers, you know, immediately right around them. They don't have access to being able to go to conferences. And so to be able to have these available to them online is, is such a, an amazing thing. And, yeah. and I think it's important for them to know, you know, as you yeah. said, that it's, it's not just a, a high level ivory tower. This is what you need to do, but it's based on people around the world. And I'm glad that you, you talked about that. So yeah, anything I, else you just I kind of want to encourage those people with as far as how how to access these materials and how accessible they are? Yes. Well, I think, you know, go to our website, access them, connect with us because, you know, this isn't there aren't droves of people that are transitioning. So we're able to respond and try to really engage with you. So feel free to reach out. Um, but I think just a couple points on that 
that kind of where we are in regards to this the shift that we're seeing. I think that we are in a situation where it's really important for us to know the how to change, not just why. And um, it's a important topic across the child protection, child protection, social work, care sector, um, because it has to be done well or else mm-hmm. um, we're failing, right? It, it, we have yep. to prioritize the safety of children. And I think I get frustrated when people just say that, like, wait, we have to do this well and we should stop and wait because, because what I think we need to be saying is what we do to do it well. And the, mm-hmm. the truth is that information does exist. And then this again is a bridge piece, right? Like people have that information. Um, there are organizations that have been, like I said, been doing this for decades. There are people who've gone before us and transitioned, probably some in the country that you're in. Um, and we need to elevate those things and, and tell people what we're learning. And that's what some of our resources do. But I think um, we need to continue to do that. And um, we we really, um, you know, there's there's division around this issue because of um, uh, probably the, the old term that people don't use that much anymore is deinstitutionalization. And there's a bunch of kind of junk hanging on that term. I wasn't institutionalizing children, and it seems like this one-step process, and then you're done, and it feels very steamrolly. Um, we really talk about transitioning for a couple reasons and encourage other people to talk about it um, with the term transitioning um, because, first off, we know it's not a one-and-done thing, that it is a long-term process. It's not just reunifying, getting a kid into a house, but it's ensuring they're safe there, ensuring their family is supported. So that's one part of it. The other piece is that it would be really challenging if what happened was that people stopped, just uh, stopped supporting orphans and vulnerable children by um, uh, residential care. We have to transition to something else. We have to move towards support for those children and families. The support for those children needs to increase, not, not decrease. Um, but it's in a different setting. It's just a different way of doing it. It's not, it's not stopping or starting anything. So it's just, it's an approach that I think is really important as we have that conversation. Absolutely. No, I think it's, I talk to people all the time about how it's so critical for us to just realize that we're not asking organizations to just say, okay, today we're going to be an institution and tomorrow we're going to have all these kids into families and all is going to be great. It's what's that next step you need to take to get there, right? And it may be, you know, it's not maybe, it definitely will be that everyone has different next steps um, because of where they are, not just where they are in their organizational lifespan, but where they are culturally, where they are physically, you know, where they are, what country they have and what the laws are and all these different things that there's so many different aspects of this. And I know in our conversations, you know, those are the, that's where the tension lies, right? Is how to do that in a way that it's, you're not going to please everyone, um, you know, all the time. And, and in this, in this case, I think as, as we have talked about in our conversations, um, not just you and me, but our, our global conversations that it's, it's so nuanced and it's, it's case by case. But as you said, the general idea that we need to continue beating the drum is, you know, kids belong in families and how can we get them there? Is that, mm-hmm. is that kind of, is that fair in as far as, yeah, how, you know, I mean, I don't want to put I words in your mouth, but there are things we know that are helpful globally, but you know, in this next step I was talking about around kind of the technical sport on the ground, but we also know we can't just have international guidance. It, right. it has to be unique to the situation of families in your community. Um, you have to really, I mean, this work means you get to a place where you actually can make decisions based on the best interest of that individual child. And so that takes, that takes more, um, consideration, um, than some simple four step process. Um, but I think, I think we're growing the opportunities to learn from each other, to support each other, to have access to some of the the um, support that we need to be able to do to do it from both like the broad level all the way down to that kind of local individualized needs yeah and on that on that note of the kind of the broader global conversation you know there are 
several organizations and probably more than several. I don't know where several stops, but, uh, you know, I don't want to say many because I don't want it to seem like it's thousands and thousands. But there are organizations at the really kind of higher level of thinking globally conversation that have been, you know, meeting together, whether it's World Without Orphans. And then recently there was one in connection with the U.N. General Assembly meeting. Um, and I know that you headed that one up with Chris Kandaya in uh, over in the U.K., but that was at New York, if you, you know, three months ago or so. Mm-hmm. Um, how are meetings like that in, in the World Without Orphans Forum and these different global conversations, you know, how do you feel that they're, first of all, how is that conversation going and how do you really feel it's moving the needle to getting more children into families? Yes, I'm actually really encouraged and excited. So I've, I've been actually on the Leadership Council for Faith to Action for 10 years when I was at World Vision. That's how I started connecting with mm-hmm. Faith to Action. And um, so I've kind of been tracking this for 10 years, and that's not long. There's many people who have been doing it much longer than that. But it's kind of crazy how much is going on right now. And mm-hmm. um, there is at the kind of the international level, like you're, you're talking about there is the pace is accelerating on care reform. And I often talk about this train, like the train, we've been working on the train, it's been in the shop. But the thing is, that like the train is on the tracks, like it's, it's moving. And we all know, you know, trains are hard to stop um, alone, Like care reform is happening. We just this week, we'll hear back from the UN regarding their um, uh, their resolution on the rights of the child that is actually focused, the whole thing is focused on children without parental care. Um, there's all these things happening at that level. I mean, what else I experience is, um, you know, we'd struggle to get any messaging out um, 10 years ago, where now our team is picking and choosing between videos and, and articles in the news and um mm-hmm. Uh, updates from the field, um, because there's so much going on. Way more organizations have actually transitioned themselves. Um, you're seeing care reforms. You're seeing people in countries that said foster care would never happen here, thriving in foster care systems. Um, just a lot is happening. And I think um, the question is, like, where will the church be in this? Because mm-hmm. I spend time with church leaders all the time, Um uh, there's a there's a variety of responses to this, and and I get that um, we have been the church we um, royal we has been serving vulnerable children since the beginning, and um, to kind of feel like these reforms are coming and telling us that this you know we've been doing it wrong is hard, and but the reality is we know as a church that um, we've always changed and responded to the needs in the current society. And I think that's what the church is doing now, recognizing yeah, it's not hard to change. It's not easy to change. But um, what I, I think is happening is the church is saying we could actually lead in this area because we know in Scripture that God has created the family um, uh, to, to be the system in which children are, are raised and, and society is organized. And um that we have been loving families since the beginning of the church in our own mm-hmm. congregations and beyond. And so um, I believe the church is going to be what I would say is the headlight of the train, shining that vision mm-hmm. forward. What we're in danger of being is the, you know, the, the caboose or maybe even off the train that's kind of getting dragged along as nations change their laws. And mm-hmm. we're, we could, we can either be, a couple of things. We could be left out of really exciting stuff. We could be steamrolled, which is kind of the worst case scenario. And our programs hurt and children hurt in the process because laws have changed and implementation is coming our direction. Um, at minimum, we can be underutilized. I mean, the global yeah. church, the most powerful organization in the world. I would say, I don't have the stats on this, but probably the biggest uh, carer of children globally Um, and, and we, and we don't want that. So some of these efforts to be more unified is kind of to recognize the, um, the need we have to be able to be represented in broader care reform efforts. Um, so we can, we can represent ourselves in some of these international events and also for us to benefit from the things that are happening there, whether it's governments partnering with us. I just talked to someone a couple of months ago 
in Mexico who, um, oh, I guess he could be listening or others who know him could be listening. Um, he was talking about their um, kind of this small foster care uh, work they'd been just grinding out in this um, small district or state. Um, I don't know if the state is small, but they've just been doing the work and the government, you know, is feeling this pressure for reform and looking for um looking for opportunities to accelerate and respond to the international pressure to see children and families. And so they're, they're looking at this ministry and going, uh, can you help us in this state? And how about this state? And I think last time I checked in, there's two other states that want that program to come there. So what a great opportunity mm -hmm. for the church um, to be able to, um, to benefit from some of this instead of potentially being, being hurt by it. So, so that's why we're trying to organize a bit. And, um, it's really exciting. I think the proof though is, is at the end, if there's growth in the church's engagement and supporting family-based care, I don't right. think any meetings are going to do anything unless, you know, we're making that progress and we see more and more churches and Christians strengthening families, um, uh, engaging local in their governance care reform efforts, supporting alternative family-based care and reintegration and all of those, those things. Yeah. Yeah, no. And, and it's something that I've talked with so many people about too, is we need, really need to get the church to understand these issues and what their role can be. Right. And to yeah. not, you know, to not come in and with the idea of, you know, look, you know, you're doing it wrong and you're doing it this and this and this, but to come in and say, okay, what are you doing? That's good. Yeah. And what are you and, and what's missing from that? Right. Like, so what, 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 whether it's something that's confused something and there will be things that are wrong within what you're doing, but the general idea that you're doing something that's good. Right. And yeah. the, the general idea that you want to love kids, that's good. But how can we come into that and have that conversation? I know that's, that's your heart. That's my heart. Yeah. And, and I agree. And that, and that's, what's been encouraging to me in these meetings, you know, some of which I've been a part of and, um, is just how people are struggling over how we can do just that right to not just come in and be the experts to say you're wrong and we're the right people because we've been studying this stuff but to say look you've been doing a lot of things that we need to learn from too um but at the end of the day that that we need to really be thinking fresh and thinking mm -hmm. with what we know rather than what we've known yeah and i think those are important things to do so yeah, and i love sharing the testimonies of the organizations we've got to learn from in their processes and you know when they've decided to try something new and really what you're saying it's just like one next steps so we're going to try mm -hmm. this kind of this prevention piece we're going to do some family strengthening in this community trying to address a, a couple of the root causes we know have caused children to need the orphanage that we're running and so they start there they start with we need a better job with our social work. We're going to fundraise to get a social worker that's going to be able to do um, better family tracing. So that these are just starting steps, and we kind of see them grow. I have one organization. Oh, I don't want to misquote it, so I won't say it. But um, she was talking about how the real shift, you know, they were doing some of that, but the real shift happened when their staff um, made this kind of aha moment of, I love these kids so much, and I've been working so hard to protect these kids but my, the God's opening my heart to their parents finally, where I was kind of demonizing their parents. And now I feel like my ministry is to, to their mom and to their dad. And, and then from there, they just kind of, um, rolled into really a quality ministry and really, um, into a place where they were all embracing an approach of seeing, um, preventing kids from, um, needing to be separated and supporting them to quickly regain family um, when needed. So there's a lot uh, of kind of, it's not as scary as it sounds. And we're learning right. that from people who've been doing it. And and it's a beautiful journey, actually. Absolutely. And I can't tell you how happy I am that we're moving away from the word deinstitutionalization. Because not only is it a mouthful, but it's really hard to write out and spell right every time. So, <laughs> it's a um, big word. <laughs> and most people look at you with glazed eyes after you say it for no matter how long you talk after yeah. it. So, um, so I know that that what we just talked about in, in your mind and in mine is one of the biggest issues we're facing today in the care of orphaned and vulnerable children. But is there anything else that you see as like a burning issue that we, you know, really need to head, you know, hit head on and, and really just deal with in, in the context of this work that we're doing? Yeah. I mean, that is a big one. That's a huge mm -hmm. one. Um, I think also we need to recognize the need for kind of a, just a, the mindset shift, like a cultural mindset set shift. Um, I know people are worried about that because they're worried that that will 
impact the other thing we just talked about, right? There's going to be haste, hastily transitions and kids are going to be left in the lurch. But I think, you know, we're, it's so exciting to be thinking of like the end game, like mm. five years ago, I wouldn't be thinking this way, but end game, like if we continue to have just normal person, you know, not involved in this kind of ministry, maybe has a sponsorship here or whatever, it goes to church every week. Um, but they don't know any about this. If they continue to think, oh, just kind of off the top of their head, orphans are problem, orphanages are the answer, um, that's going to continue to be a challenge for us. So I think um, thinking through what does it mean to kind of address that social norm, um, and it's hard because it's, it's not an easy, this is a complex issue. Um, and whenever we try to boil it down, there's all these dangers of doing that. But I think if you, if you think about it, you know, the problem that an orphan faces is they don't have parents, they don't have a family. And so, um, really, I think just at that simple level, people to move from thinking orphan orphanage to orphan family. And, um, I think that means that we do have to have conversations and clarifying some of the misconceptions that have formed through movies and through, honestly, nonprofits, uh, uh, commercials and advertisements that have kind of def- defined the orphan in a way that maybe gets great donations, but isn't true. And so, um, so that's, that's a big challenge. Um, I think we work mostly with the U S church. Um, and so that's, a huge funder of this work. And when you're on the field, you'll, you'll hear people say, you know, wherever I'm on the field, I'm here in Seattle. So anywhere I'll be on Seattle and you'll hear people say like, that's what the donors want to fund. Um, and I think that's something that we need to think about. Um, I have a, uh, we have this way of talking to churches. We talk about why children in orphanages, I guess, Oh, maybe I'll get to that. So, when we're addressing these misconceptions, I think one of the things we need to recognize is the term orphan, right? And I'm sure you've talked about this in other podcasts, but I think an interesting t- statistic we don't talk about is that, you know, of the 140, or it used to be 153 million orphans defined by UNICEF, that like 98, 99% of those children actually are in a family. Mm-hmm. And yep. so that begs the question, if those children can be in families, you know, why can't the children in orphanages be in families? Or who are the children in orphanages and why are they there? And of course, that's a micro question, you know, an individual orphanage or residential care center needs to ask that question. But I think kind of at a meta level, you know, regarding this mindset, um, we talk about push and pull factors. I don't know if you've heard that. So push factors are like yeah. difficult circumstances that push children and families to be in residential care. Um, so this is, you know, it's, it's poverty, not having enough food to eat. It's abuse. It's, um, some of these hard things, but they're also pull factors and pull factors are like the perceived benefits, the positive things that pull children and families to be considered and and governments to consider orphanages uh, for the care of children. And when you start to think about, pull factors and recognize it is a part of the equation. Um, you know, those of us, myself speaking, and a lot of the people we engage with here in the U.S. Um, church, you realize you have a role to play as in provision of that pull factor. And um, you can start to think about, you know, what, is that, what does that mean? Um, yeah. And that, that's looking at the root causes of separation of children, the root causes, the reasons why kids end up in orphanages. And, um, uh, yeah, so I think it's, it's really important that we kind of break down some of these misconceptions. We think, um, about like a sustainable and empowering response, um, faith, uh, uh, what, helping without helping without hurting. That's it. Right. Helping when without helping hurts the book. When helping the, hurts, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yes, the book. It's all right. One of my um, friends called it Helping Tell It Hurts, and I thought that that was really funny. But yeah, When Helping Hurts is the book. Yeah, and um, I mean, I've been to their workshop, and I think it's called something else. So anyway. Helping um, Without Hurting in yeah. whatever, short-term missions, yeah. church, whatever. Yeah, yeah yep. so that those principles that the church is embracing now around sustainability and empowerment mm-hmm. lay those things over this issue and think, 
you know, what is the long-term answer for these families and these children? Yeah. And, and then you start to realize that we're actually, what we're doing is kind of a Band-Aid response. Um, and could we potentially consider what we could do for that long, long-term sustainable change in that family and that community that might mean that they, they are able to stay in a family? And, um, and that's, that's the kind of thinking I think that will happen once we challenge the, the social norms regarding what yeah. an orphan needs. Absolutely. No, and the, the talk about when helping hurts, that's immediately what came to mind when you were answering is just the the mindsets, the worldview, you know, whatever you want to call it, but the idea of here in the U.S. of that God complex and really that the churches are, whether they say it out loud or, you know, it's just internally, but you see this yourself or the church that you're a part of as kind of the savior of these people. And mm-hmm. on the ground, you know, the, the work that you're seeing. And, and so if you really do a good job of empowering and bringing people up, then that goes away rather yeah. than changing the mindset that we are in this together and we all have a poverty that needs to, you know, the re- relationships with ourselves and with others and God and the rest of creation need to be reconciled. And that's what we're doing in this work. It yeah. changes everything, right? So, um, and it's those conversations, absolutely, that are so critical. And it's it's the ones that if we can have those conversations, I think with the church and with donors and with other people, then I believe that if the conversations go there, they'll be fruitful because I see that all the time in the class that I teach. We go over those exact things and I see the, the light bulbs starting to go off. And it's so encouraging because, you know, yeah. when you see people starting to get these things, then that's when things start changing. So... Um, yeah. right. It's not, it's not just a bandaid approach. It's, it's going to those core foundational worldview issues that if they're not changing, then the work that we're doing is going to be, you know, it will be just band-aids and just responsive. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, with that, we uh, are coming to the end of the conversation. Unfortunately, I could uh, talk, you know, as we've done, we could talk for a really long time, you know, as yeah. we, we have done, you know. Um, and we'll continue and this doesn't have to be the last time we have yawn, but, uh, for this, this time we're going to have the last couple of questions we ask everybody. And if you have something else that you want to say, just weave it into your answer. No problem. Um, <laughs> but what have you read, listened to, or watched that has most impacted your thinking about how we can love orphan and vulnerable children with excellence? Good. Yes. I actually was dreading this question because I feel like everybody has such great responses, but I'm just going to say some of the books that have affected me. <laughs> um, okay. I mentioned Bryant Myers. He wrote Walking with the Poor. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, it's, it's uh, actually, honestly, Helping Him Without Hurting is a bit of a, or When Helping Hurts, sorry, um, is a bit of a summary of what Bryant Myers wrote, but mm-hmm. oh, it's so good and really has shaped um, my perspective. I think I guess to weave in something that I didn't say, <laughs> I think um, that we, if we are making this transition, which I think, like I said, I think the train is is going. So we are, um, we are going to have to learn how to do good child focused um, community development. That means that families are stable, more stable, mm-hmm. and that's what walking with the poor is all about. So, um, and I don't, I hesitate to say that because I don't want people to feel daunted, like. Well, I know how to do this. I'm an expert in this area. I don't. Right. I can't take on all of community development, um, but we can, guys. We're smart. Yep. Um, Nabs from Helping Children Worldwide was talking the other day, and I never get it um, as good as he does. But he was, um, he was like, "Is our option?" Um, it was a beautiful challenge. Is is the option we have for kids residential care? That's it. We can make an airplane fly thousands of miles over the ocean. And the option we have for kids is this. Um, and for me, that was just a great challenge. He was talking about, you know, the complexities of creating mm-hmm. an airplane. Like, yep. we, can, we can do better. We can learn. We can read that book. Let's read Brian's book. It's pretty It's pretty thick, but let's do it. So, yeah, I think. Right. Um, and then you'll have him on your podcast. So that'll be good, too. Listen uh, to that. In fact, I just <laughs> recently interviewed him. So I already I have his voice in my head right now. Oh, as you're saying oh, that. So I mean, Bryant Myers. But yeah. Oh, Bryant. Oh, Nabs <laughs> is who I'm talking about. Yeah. But yeah. 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 Nab- but Nab- Bryant, we will have on. You're going to connect me with him and we'll, we'll get it done. So yeah. Perfect. Yeah. There's another. Well, I have to give a shout out to Mick Peace's new book, Children Belong in Families. Mm-hmm. It's this is going on the opposite end of the spectrum. This goes from walking with the poor, which is a little bit academic to mix, which is accessible for anybody. I mean, you could hand this to 
anybody in the pews that doesn't know anything and it's entertaining, it's encouraging, it's funny. Um, and it's, and you learn a lot about the needs of children and, and it's really encouraging, I think. So Nick's book is called children belong in families. And, um, you know, I guess the other one would be, oh, I kind of hesitate to say it. Um, but it's called growing God's family. And what it is, is it's a, it's a, it's a, not a harsh criticism, but it's, it is a criticism of the U S Christian orphan care movement. And a lot of like all my friends are in it. <laughs> um, and I don't agree with a lot of it, but I think it's helpful for us to hear criticisms and, um, it, it helps us think about, I mean, really, um, the author is questioning if evangelicals specifically can be effective in real change and real social movements. And he points out some things that I think are really true that are kind of based in our U S evangelical or Protestant perspective that limit our ability to see real change happen. And mm. I think about it all the time. Um, so if you're kind of a leader in this movement, that would, might be a interesting book, but read it with a grain yeah. of salt. Um, but yeah, it, it is interesting. I think we ha I had an entire recommendation, one, one podcast, my, you know, I do recommendations at the end as well. And it was to read or listen to, or kind of watch different talks of people that you know, you're going to disagree with. And mm. I think that's really important for us to hear that those people that are, you know, cause they will point out things that we need to learn from and cause we're not doing everything perfectly. Um, that was great, great stuff. Um, and, uh, the last question, which it may, I imagine there may be some overlap here, but maybe not. What person has most impacted your thinking about how we can love orphan and vulnerable children with excellence? Yeah. I mean, I've already talked enough about, um, the Myers work and then world vision in general, their child focused development. Um, like, I think honestly, when I was thinking about this question, it's like this all clicked for me when I had my little boys and mm. I'm like, oh, I get it. And I think probably a lot of us could say that, but, um, going from, uh, book knowledge to that really intimate experience of parenting, um, has, you know, it drives me, it motivates me, but it also brings just so much kind of, um, aha, <laughs> now I know what that means. And I mean, silly things like, um, honestly, I used to kind of demonize the idea of any child being abused. And I think we should. Um, of course, it's a terrible thing. But having a parent, especially like a three year old of a three year old, mine's four now. So we're past that. Mm -hmm. But it's really hard. And I could see if I didn't have the tools, if I didn't have the support, that, yep. you know, I, it could take me in a different place. So that's just one example of how my kids have shaped my perspective on this work. And I think mm. that's probably a really common experience for many of us. Absolutely. I don't know that anybody's kind of said that in their answer. I, th I totally agree. I totally agree. You know, I mean, and especially if you're in a worldview that actually encourages that behavior, right? Or, you know, but mm -hmm. the the idea... And this is something I've talked to many, many people about that my you know benchmark has been if something happens to me and my wife, what, where would I want my kids to be and what would yeah. I, how would I want my kids to be cared for, right? And, and yeah. you can say that before you have kids, but to to yeah. fully, deeply understand that, um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I I had kids when I already got involved with this, but when I went full-time was right when I had my fourth kid. And every time you have a, a new baby, you, you kind of get that refresh. Yeah, the and, attachment. You know, the attachment. Yep. Oh, there it is. Call and response. Yep. Wow. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, well, and even seeing the differences, like the little differences amongst, you know, the, the, the kids, you know, how they, how they maybe even just nurse and some do it more and then, then others yeah. and that manifests differently throughout the, the life. And, you know, now that I have daughter in college and all the way down to an eight year old to see the differences and the, as they go through different phases and mm. it's fascinating, it's fascinating. So then to take that to the global you know, for us to say, oh, yeah, we know how every kid's going to react in every given, you know, that's just a ridiculous, right? Yeah. So, well, great. Well, Ellie, ah, oh, this is so, so fantastic. I always get bummed when I have to come to the end of conversations, and this is no exception to that. But uh, thanks so much for your time, and thanks for all that you're doing. Thanks for your friendship, and just thanks for uh, just your heart for helping others to understand these issues and to be able to really apply them in their lives. It's been really fun. Thanks so much, Phil. So thanks again, Ellie. You know, I always uh, love being able to have conversations with people that are both my friends 
and people I respect uh, doing work to really just kind of bring us together. And I, I feel like Ellie's one of those people. And so, Rick, you know, what did you think about that? Man, there were a lot of just really rich points that Ellie made, um, you know, through the interview. I, I think, you know, one of the things that is, that struck me in, in the midst of her interview was her, her talking about just the really the lack of child focus in so much of what's done in development work and and how you know how true that rings that um that one of the things i think that we continue to to see a lot is is how um child focused concerns in in community development work are really kind of estranged from other pieces and other parts of child development and you know it, it was a reminder to me that as as much as you and i talk about uh collaboration and you know, and, and the need for collaboration that there is, there's kind of a decided lack of of interdisciplinary cooperation when it comes to um, when it when it comes to child development, and and that one of the things that we we really have to be you know forward thinking about is is how to place ourselves in those conversations and 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 really how to find credibility at times within. Uh, within the larger world of community development. And, and so I thought that was a well-placed thought. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I, I'm really excited, <clears throat> excuse me, for, uh, for 2020. Um, I, I, I really see this year as being a, uh, an extremely huge step toward that collaboration that we've been talking about for so long. I see things coming together and I, you know, most of them are behind the scenes and most of them aren't fully fleshed out yet. So it'd be way premature to talk about them. But fortunately, I think you and I are both in conversations right now that are encouraging from the standpoint of, of people actually collaborating and not just partnering and not just cooperating and not just connecting. Right. And, and for those of you out there who know kind of the continuum of collaboration, those are kind of leading up to collaboration, but collaboration is actually working together, creating solutions together for a common goal together. And that is something that I'm seeing more happening. And it's so encouraging to me because I think we all know in our heart of hearts, the only way these things are going to get done is when we start really saying, you know what, I don't care who gets the credit. I just really care that we can be part of kingdom building. We can be part of these solutions that we know are what we want to be happening. And, and it starts with understanding what our common goal is, right? It starts with understanding what we actually want. And we talk about, yeah, we want kids and families. Okay, that's great. But we got to agree on what all those things mean, right? We got to agree on what what we actually mean by that. And what what is an okay result from, okay, what if we have an institution that they just, they don't, they don't, want to do anything they, they don't even they don't even understand these issues what's the what's the next step that will be a great result for them in the next six months right we need to understand these things together so that we can work together and that's what I get excited about because these are the conversations that are happening is first it's understanding and being aware that there are issues then it's understanding how we can actually address them together and I think that Ellie and Faith to Action and Krish Kandaya with the Homecoming Project and, and One Million Home and some of the work they're doing. And I just had a great conversation with Mick Peace this morning and SFAC and the work they're doing. I think that everyone is more and more coming together to say, how can we actually do stuff together? As opposed to just reinventing the wheel over and over and over again and doing it on our own so that we get the credit and our names on it. And Yeah, I... Yeah. And I think, you know, I think what a couple of things that she, you know, just extended a few other themes from the from the interview. I mean, I, I love the fact that one of her, um, you know, one of the things she brought out in the interview was the fact she she kind of honestly said, like she went to seminary with no intention really to serve the church and no real, really yeah. no intention to be involved in, in ministry in the church. But how how God kind of worked her through that process and and. And that that really she's come to a realization that 
you know that that the church is a is a significant player in this and and you know that that obviously just rings a bell with me yeah. and and I believe that that is you know that that's great and and the truth is the church hasn't had a, a great history of collaboration either mm-hmm. um, and and particularly Western churches particularly American churches we you know we have a, we have a great history of competition yeah we we haven't been you know so good at collaboration and so I think that's a you know that that's a significant theme for for us to take away from this interview. I think the final thing is there's just a huge amount of credibility and you know coming from faith to action because because they live out actually what their name is. Mm-hmm. And and she made a really well taken point that there's a lot of talk about this issue. Um, there's there's not as much. Um, okay, now what do we do? Right, right. <laughs> and yep. and like looking for solution focused kinds of things. And so I I think you know they they have been a great example to a lot of us in uh, all the research that they're you know that they're purveying. It's not all theirs. Like they're doing a great job of of aggregating research and and aggregating practice yep. and those kinds of things, and then and then delivering them in such a way. That they're they're put into bite-sized pieces and into into forums where um, people can can get them, they can understand them, and they have a pathway to implementation. And yeah. so, just really excited about the you know the video curriculum that they've done, the or the the online curriculum that they've done, and and that idea. You know, she even talked about it being a bridge piece. You know, that this is this is something really you know for for people to work from, and it's and it's meant to you know, meant to do something. And, uh, and I just, you know, kind of final thing for me, Phil, is I, I love, she made this, I made this comment about, you know, the, the church having an opportunity to be the change catalyst, to be the, the headlight on, you know, on the, on the train of change, I think is the way she said it. Right. And, and that caution that we don't want to be the caboose, but, but like, I really do think that that's a great point. And this is one of those places because we're so early in this conversation that if, that if the church will pick this conversation up and if we, if we will meaningfully, um, you know, dive into it, we have an opportunity to, to, to be the leader and to be on the cutting edge and, and not to, um, you know, not to merely follow the lead of someone else, and I think that does. I think that does great good for you know for the gospel, and it puts us in places, and you know, gives us a seat at the table, and 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 a place in conversations where um, where our walk matches our 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 talk, and and where you know where where we see our convictions lived out, but it also gives us just a really credible place in order to proffer the gospel. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, and I think the 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 thing I want to kind of finish the the commentary on on the interview is I love when our guests, you know, kind of refer to our past guests on things that they actually said, which was cool. I don't know if you caught it, but she basically was talking about Nabs, who was about three episodes ago. And, you know, when she's like, yeah, Nabs always talks about how we can fly a plane, but we can't figure out to get children into families. And then I just heard Nabs's voice in my head. <laughs> really? Really? <laughs> you know? And, and I think that we kind of need that voice in our head is the point that like to be when we accept less than excellence and the best for these kids, we need to have Nabs's voice in our head. Really? Really? Right? We can fly planes. We can send astronauts to the moon. We can have projects. I just saw a picture of the sun, the highest resolution picture of the sun ever. It's floating around all over social media. If you haven't seen it, it's pretty cool. It looks kind of like caramel corn. Um, We can do these things, right? If we really care about this, why is that the why are the why can we not figure out ways to get these kids what they need? so that they can prosper and flourish and have the chances to do those things that we're able to do, right? So that was something that I just, you know, I keep beating that drum because it's a drum that needs to keep being beat, you know, and I'm going to keep beating it and I'm going to keep beating it. And you know what? People won't listen and that's, so, you know, I say that's okay. It's not, you know, it's things that we, we need to care and it can't be a guilt thing. It's got to be something that we understand that this is what we're called to do. 
And and why? Because it's the heart of God's heart, you know? And and so that's what we've talked about. That's what we, I, I just, I get excited when I hear it and I get, I get, I just get encouraged and it continues to charge me to, uh, to go that extra mile, you know? And so, you know, with that, I, I want to kind of transition into the, into the, uh, Dr. Rick and Phil recommend, unless you had something, Rick, that just was burning that you wanted to finish up with. I'm just waiting with bated breath to hear what your recommendation is. Believe it or not, folks, we don't talk about this in advance. It's a surprise to me, too. Well, you know, this is one... Well, I have two recommendations today. I know that's going to shock you folks out there. One is a, <laughs> one is a book, and one is a, uh, another movie. Um, and the book is one that... Uh, I think it's just a fantastic read for, you know, today's culture. Um, it's, a, it's a book that's written mainly to the American audience, but it definitely applies. Um, you know, some people say, well, that's definitely a first world book and so on and so forth. But you, you can take the principles and adjust them and modify them for cultural, cultural context for sure. It's called, it's called The Vanishing American Adult. It's by uh, Ben Sass. He's a senator um, here in the United States. A fantastic book that just talks about, <clears throat> you know, how we need to raise our kids at, a, you know, at that higher level, at that level, you know, that we need to give them experiences um, that will help them to grow and help them um, to understand the world. We need to have them read books that aren't just, you know, cheesy books, but are books that are intentionally um, curated to understand the world, understand the thinking, understand what the worldviews are that have shaped our worldviews today, what that looks like, you know, and, and, you know, just, he's a, he's a Christian man, but if they're not all Christian books, you know, and it's to help understand what are, what are, what's going on in our world. And, you know, they're, they're from different races and from different cultures and from different backgrounds. Um, and it, it's really, really good. Talking about intergenerational, the importance of intergenerational, intergenerational relationships. I'm not going to talk about the whole, but I'm hoping to get, uh, to get, uh, Ben on the, on the show at some point. Um, and I've talked with, you know, his people about that, but you know, that, that's my hope because I do want to dive deeper into some of those issues and how they, um, actually are speaking into what we're doing in the in the loving and caring for the orphan and the vulnerable i know he's got a huge heart for that as well and it's personal to him um the second one is a little on the less serious side because folks I, I you know if there's one thing you learned about me i like to have fun and i like to have fun with my family and this was one that i was able to do both and it's the it's the, actually the next installment of the jumanji movie series jumanji the next level so if again when I started this podcast, if you would have told me that I was going to recommend Jumanji not just once but twice and they were going to be sequels, I would have been very surprised. But I, there's a couple things I love about the Jumanji series and especially the last two. They're a lot of fun. They're really funny. The casting I thought was phenomenal. But as much as that, I love that it's, it is a collaborative solution. They're, they're, they need each other. And they're working together on these on the, to solve these problems that are happening and coming up on them. And a lot of those problems are ridiculous, yes. Um, but it's it's a fun movie that also you know it does have a, a pretty good message. So, Rick, anything? I know you're just blowing away Man, by those recommendations. Life. I just can't wait to go. I just can't wait to see go see the new installment of Jumanji. Because I know now you know like I I mean I I can't get enough Kevin Hart. Let's be honest. You know, it, it's I'm not going to give anything you know, away. But you know, I'm going to tell you, man. Like I, I think you might be my Kevin Hart. You know, what's really I funny I, about that is my daughter has been told that she reminds them of Kevin Hart. <laughs> so that makes you the Rock. So that makes well, sense. That makes sense. So. That's, you know that is um, that is so far from reality. <laughs> it can't even. Yeah. For those of you who not, know Rick, you know the two, the one actor that you the would blob, think of. Maybe. You would think of the blob, first maybe not the Rock. With Rick is the Rock, um, right. or Vin Diesel, one of those guys, because you know you used right. to get them confused. So, anyway, so Vin, 
Hey, actually, legitimately, have you ever seen Tony Marita and Vin Diesel in the same place? Oh, that is interesting. That's a good point. See, Rick always likes to just bring up orphanology Think about that for a as much as he possibly can. He's just self Think about that. So I, that is I'm just saying, man. Like, yeah. I, I think I wrote a book with Vin Diesel. So so that that's not, you know. It would have sold a lot more copies. Know you know it would have sold a lot more copies <laughs> if you wrote it with Vin Diesel. So <clears throat> anyway, folks, with that. Maybe not that last part, but for most of that episode, I, ta- I, I do pray that you take what you have heard and learned and uh, just what it's causing you to think about. And you'll just take all of that and, and it will help you to know how you can love orphan and vulnerable children better and better each and every day. Thanks a lot and have a great week. We hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast. For all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan.